0: We are going to cruise today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And I know we, we took verse 31 and just squeezed it and got all the nutrients out of verse 31. There's three Sundays we're on that one verse. Hopefully it was helpful if you can remember it. Today we're going to cover 11 verses. Be still my soul. Well, we're, we're at least going to read 11 verses. We'll have to revisit it again next week. This week we're going to take a forty—they say a 40,000 foot view. And then we're going to come in a little closer next week and we'll see whether we'll come in for a landing or not. But we're going to pick it up in verse 32. Remember we camped out in verse 31, now we're moving. And very appropriate to our video that we just saw. Follow with me starting in verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Luda. That's pronounced Luda. It looks like Lydia. There's no I in there. Uh, the Y is like a U. And so it's Luda. It's a, the Greek, the Hebrew would be Lud, or just L-O-D um, in the Old Testament. So they came down to the saints at Luda, which, by the way, means strife. Interesting how the Lord enters in their city of strife and does this miracle. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Interesting, eight is the number of new beginning. So it's it's always interesting in scripture that the number eight will always be a new beginning. So here we are, eight years into his paralysis. And Peter said to him, Aeneas. Jesus the Christ, remember this is his title, Christ is not his last name, born of Mary and Joseph Christ, it's Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ heals, how many believe that much of it? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Now the next one is the hard part, Jesus the Christ heals you, how many believe that part? Yeah. And it's more like an oh no, right, <laughs> like, oh, okay, you know. But that's the hardest part is there's three letters in there. Now, here comes the mother's miracle with her teenager. Arise and make your bed. <laughs> and he arose immediately. Now, when such things do happen at home, they say it is a miracle. Let me adjust this where it goes. And he arose immediately. It means literally without delay. God bless you. So all who dwelt in Luda... And Sharon, and that's not Sharon, it's pronounced Sharon, like Ariel Sharon. And this is, we'll see a plane here in in a moment, a map. All who dwelt there saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, isn't it interesting that they saw this man? This is a whole region. All these people saw this man. At Joppa... Now it's modern-day Jaffa, Joppa, J-O-F-F-A. Jaffa Joppa is where uh, somebody took a boat ride. Remember who that was? Jonah. You're always nervous to answer me. Jonah, remember? God said go. Jonah said no. God said oh. And then turn him back. This is where he went out of, the seaport. So at Jaffa, there was a certain disciple. Interesting, we didn't see that Uh, name applied, or title applied to Aeneas. But here we do. A certain disciple whose name was Tabitha, that's Hebrew, uh, which is translated Dorcas, that's Greek. Word I, I say stick to the Hebrew. (laughs) We'd have our Dorcas moment in our meeting. I said, man, I feel bad for someone to call Dorcas. And then had a cornerstone, someone that's my sister's name. I said, Oh, well, I mean, it's a good name, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, okay, so it's darkest. Sorry. It means gazelle, by the way, a gazelle. And so one's Hebrew word for gazelle, and one is a Greek word for a gazelle. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did, but. It happened in those days. What days? The days in which she was doing these good works and charitable deeds. In the midst of all these things that she was doing, good things she was doing, in the midst of those days she became sick and died. Hmm. It's funny how quick the Lord can get to a point, can't he? She was sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. There's reason for that, because when they would come to the viewing, they didn't embalm, and so they would put in the upper room, and the people would gather and hang out in the lower room with the family, instead of putting her in the lower room, and then being in the upper room, you get the drift. Okay, That's why they put her up there. And so they put her in the upper room and the family came out and friends would come out and mourn her there and someone would go up and view and come back down with the family. And since Luda was near Joppa, approximately 9 to 10 miles southeast, since Luda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him. Imploring, literally begging him not to delay in his coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. Have you ever put anybody out? You're in good company. Peter put them all out said, get out of here. Go. Shoe. It literally means like to shoo children away. He shooed them out of the room. And after they left it says and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, which tells me that he was praying away from the body and more than likely praying towards a window. It was quite common. Daniel does it in his text. But he gets done praying And he apparently gets up, and then he turns towards the body. And he said, Tabitha, he speaks Hebrew to her. Tabitha, gazelle, arise. Simple command. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Wow. If I were Peter even saying, arise, and she did, I... I think there still be an element in my heart that says, wow, it worked. <laughs> have you ever prayed and asked God to do the miraculous and all of a sudden he pulls through and you have been surprised by God? <laughs> Why are we so surprised that God could do the miraculous and yet we are? But he, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he called the saints, the holy ones, aren't you glad you're numbered amongst them if you know Christ? You're a holy one. He calls the saints and the widows, and he presents her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. And we'll get to that. Father, add your anointing on this time. Lord, you just moved already. You've been moving. I can sense your spirit with us. I can sense your spirit speaking to us. And I ask, Lord, you will speak through me as your instrument right now. Add to the message everything that belongs and take from it everything that does not. Anoint me and just be all over me, I ask, as your mouthpiece. And in Jesus' name, we all pray and agreeing, saying, Amen. And Amen, Amen. Which is greater is going to be my topic. Oh, well, no, I asked, no, you don't have to follow me with a camera. I'll be right back on to get me a pool stick, pool cue. Used to be pretty good at this in the Marines. However, not so good anymore. We've tried different lasers, and they're not working. So at this time, we're going to go the old school. <laughs> Anyone remember the old school, Pointer? Pointer? Back then, they didn't extend them. They were already just a stick with a little rubber tip on them. And they would hit the map like this. Remember that? <laughs> you remember that? All right. Do we have a one that's further out first? Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Mediterranean. Correct? Israel right here. It's amazing what's going on. Battling over a piece of real estate 75 miles wide. And a livable area, 150 miles long. 250 down through the desert. 150 by 70. I mean, we're talking here to Louisville. Wide. Little pass. Did I say right, right? And yet, it's the center of all humanity and everything that's going on in the world. All right, here's Israel. God bless you. Let's draw in a little closer. Coming in for not quite a landing. Next slide. Nice. Jerusalem. You see, Mediterranean, Jerusalem, Dead Sea. Following me? Philip, that's the red line. Remember, Philip went up and he ministered up in Samaria. And then the Lord sent him down to the road that goes down to Gaza. You hear the Gaza Strip, all right? This is the Gaza Strip. This is where the Philistines remain. This is where uh, Goliath was from. So Philip was down here. Then he was, remember, caught away after he baptized Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that? And boom, he was found 20 miles away. Nice. High-speed transportation. So the Lord moves Philip to here. Philip goes up and he preached the gospel through Luda and then up to Caesarea. Are you all with me on Philip's? I tell you that because now Peter, who has been down in Jerusalem, he has gone all through the country, but now he's going over to Luda. This is it right here. And this is Joppa right here. So we're about 10 miles across. Sharon, you see this? Sharon is this whole region, this plain. Sharon means level or plain. Are you with me on this? So when they say that they turned to the Lord in Luda and Sharon and all in Sharon saw him, that's quite a statement. That's not like people in Bean Blossom knew it went on a fruit dale. We're talking distance here. Are you with me on that? For you visitors, those are actual towns near us. (laughs) And we love it. They're awesome. I love those. I love the names of them. All right. So, this whole region down through here heard and saw, went to see this man that was a paralytic for eight years, and they turned to the Lord. Now, when. I want to say, What do you want to call her, Dorcas or Tabitha? Tabitha? Tabitha. Yeah, Some of you like the Dorcas part, you see. When Tabitha dies, they send the disciples 10 miles down to get Peter. And I don't know, if you're walking at 4 miles an hour, you're, you're only roughly 2 and a half hour walk down. It's actually not down, It'll, it starts ascending. If you go from Jerusalem down Route 1, you're actually going from the high point down the road. And so they went up ten miles, got Peter, and went back down. OK, is that all clear as mud? All right, I wanted you to see the geography of what we 're talking about when we read through these miracles. Now, now that we understand the topo- or the geography, the miracles we see with Peter are his second and third miracle recorded by Luke. Remember, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. And then he wrote to Theophilus this sequel. In other words, when you read the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus dies and he rises from the dead, and, and then he speaks to his disciples, telling them to go into all the world and make disciples, and then it stops. And you're like, then what happened? So then Luke writes a book called the Acts of the, what? Apostles. Apostles. So he says, okay, here's what happened to these 11 guys uh, since you left, we left them in Luke. And here's what they did. And so the, this book will focus on these 11 men. But you're going to have to introduce Paul, who's going to become the 12th apostle. And so we had this kind of like uh, parentheses, if you will, in the previous chapters. But now we're coming back. Zach, you all right, man? You hurt your, you broke your arm? Nice. No, okay, we'll, we'll pick it up later, but... I hate seeing a guy, young guys coming in with a new cast, but I'll sign it later. So we start out following the apostles, then we kind of take a break. We meet Saul, who's then going to be Paul. And now we come back to Peter. Now, this is the second and third miracle recorded by Luke about in which Peter was involved. John was with him as well. But when we consider these miracles, we we have to remind ourselves, at least I did. I went back to the first one. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I rewound all these back to chapter 3. And remember in chapter 3, John and Peter were going up to the temple to pray. It was about the third hour. It's the time that they, excuse me, three in the afternoon, the ninth hour. And so as they were going to the temple to pray, Uh, There was a beggar there, and they asked for money. And since they were preachers, they didn't have any money. And he said, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, what? Get up, rise up. And so in this miracle with the crippled man, uh, uh, Scripture speaks of his his ankles and his his, uh, feet being crippled. And he had to be carried. So it wasn't like he just had one bad leg. He had two bad legs bad ankles and feet. And so the Lord miraculously when he put his faith in Jesus Christ did not put his faith in Peter or did not put his faith in John. Amen? Peter is not a healer. John is not a healer. Jesus is the healer. Amen? Even he gives gifts of healing, but they're still not the healer. Jesus is the healer. These are people that have a gift that pray for healing and believe in healing, and God uses them miraculously to draw people to healing. Just like someone like myself may have the gift of evangelism, but I don't save anybody. Amen? But I have a gift for evangelizing people and sharing the good news. So, this crippled man puts his faith in Jesus Christ, and you know how it works. His foot bone connected to his ankle bone, his ankle bone then connected to his leg bone. Amen? Now you say, wow, if you're thinking skeletal-wise, I mean, his legs all came together. And I say, man, that's an awesome miracle. But remember, that guy was crippled since birth. So it also means that his, his skeletal did not have any muscles developed on them, And so God not only reconnected his bones and his ligaments and his joints, but also developed his muscles in such a way that this man was able to stand. Hallelujah. And then the miracle doesn't stop there. He also gave to this man an equilibrium and balance so that he could then not just walk and take baby steps with his new abilities. But this man was leaping and jumping and like, he was just saying, this is awesome, man. I mean, would you think it was awesome if it was you? You know it. You know it. Man, this, this week we saw a video of our granddaughter Walking for the first time. <laughs> and it's funny because she goes across the carpet. She's just cruising across the carpet. When she gets to the to the vinyl, she stops. And is like, I don't know about this stuff. And then when she puts one half of a foot down on it, it's like, ooh. And, and had to be coaxed. You would think that the carpet would be a little... Um, scarier, but she started there, so she was fine. But the stable floor was what she was worried about. Isn't that funny? Where sometimes we could be worried about the stability that's out there. Things are too stable, and so, somehow when things are not that stable, we seem to be fine. We work better in the unstable, it seems. But anyway, she just gets out there and, and she walks, and everyone claps, and and Grandma watches it. How many times now? Six times? Seven times? <laughs> And it's always great to see every time. And yes, you can go to our website and see it. It's on Facebook. She is the cutest granddaughter there is, but she's cuter than all yours, but it's okay. Don't be jealous, please. Miracles, miracles. The crippled man, the first one. Remember how the Lord healed him. Was he the only one in town that was in that condition? No, there was many. There's many. And so, but yet God intervened here and healed him. And then we fast forward from chapter 3 now to chapter 9, and in verse 34 we meet a grown man who apparently had a tragic accident. And this accident has left him bedridden for eight years. It's interesting if you were to... Go to the AMA and, and look up statistics. 80.9% of the time, it is a male that is paralyzed. Interesting statistics. Almost 81% of the time, they're males because they engage in more risky activity. I don't think that's true. Just because I fell off a front-end loader this September, and broke my hand. but So here is this man. This literally means a grown man. He's gone through life for however many decades and has been doing whatever he was doing. Somehow he had a tragic accident and that accident left him paralyzed. We don't know if he was paraplegic or quadriplegic. We just know that he had paralysis and could not move. And so here this man is crippled and paralyzed and the Bible says that he's been laying in this bed for eight years. That tells me something. You know what that tells me? Now, when I read this, I realize that since Jesus ascended into heaven, you know, he died, he rose from the dead, met his disciples, ascended into heaven, and then 10 days after his ascension, he started the church on the day of Pentecost. Do you remember that? On the day of Pentecost, chapter 2 of Acts, he starts the church. The church then begins to expand and and people continue to get saved. We are now three years into the church ministry. All right, So it tells me we're three years into the church ministry. So you know what I do? I rewind. And that means it's been three years since Jesus died on the cross and rose to the dead. And then I rewind and I realize that Jesus' ministry was how long? Three years. Good guess. And so now, so we're three years into the church, and Jesus' public ministry is three years long. Are you with me? How many years is that? Six years. You guys are awesome. Six years. How long has this guy been paralyzed? Eight years. Eight years. So this means he was paralyzed for two years when Jesus started his ministry. And that means he was paralyzed the whole time, the whole three years while Jesus was going around the entire country healing people and helping people and raising the dead and doing all this uh, miracles, this miraculous work. He was still paralyzed. Is that true? So, by the time Jesus died and rose to heaven, how long has he been paralyzed? Five years. And then the church starts, and then it continues, and then it grows. And now we're three years even into that. And this man is still in the same condition. Now, why do I stop and think about that? The fact that Jesus purposely did not heal this man two years into his condition. And purposely did not heal this man five years into his condition. And purposely ascended into heaven, leaving this man in a paralyzed condition, and he leaves the earth and then leaves him in his condition three years into the church ministry. When I look at this and I realize the time frame that we're talking from his public ministry until the time that this man was healed, I learn a few things. For me, lesson one, Jesus has not forgotten about us, even though it seems like sometimes he has. Right? Right? Do you think this man, after he was two years into his condition, do you think he heard about Jesus going around to these places? Yeah. Do you think that he heard that Jesus was crucified? Yeah. I'm sure the word spread around. Did you think they heard about miraculous things that took place in, in uh, Pentecost and the beginning of the church? I'm sure he heard about it. And do you think he probably heard what was going on with some of the people in their whole small little country who are getting persecuted for being Christians and hunted down by a guy named Saul. Do you think he heard about all these things going on? I think so. I think he was very much aware, but I also think that he probably thought that Jesus doesn't care about him. Let me tell you something. From the point you need a miracle to the point you may receive a miracle you are going to hear a lot of dark whispers in your ear. Remember the spiritual harassment? Issues of life will come. Injury is an issue of life. We get injured, right? (laughs) Issues of life will come. In the midst of that issue of life, beware and be careful that while you're resting in the Lord during that issue, that the spiritual harassment on the outside, remember, peace in the previous verse meant freedom from harassment Remember, when that spiritual harassment from the outside, with issues, you rest in the Lord. With harassment, you fight for the Lord. You fight in victory in Christ. All right? We already, you don't fight for the victory. We already have the victory. Amen? So, the spiritual harassment comes when you're in a condition like this waiting for a miracle. Because you're going to hear whispers in your ear that God doesn't care about you. Cares about everyone else. Saw Denise in the hallway. I said, hey, how's your arm? Remember for weeks and weeks, she had a pinched nerve and no feeling in her arm. was all tingly and asleep and all that. And right in the middle of service, God healed her. Hallelujah. And so I said, how's your arm? She goes, fine. It was kind of like, that's a dumb question. (laughs) But, you know, the thing is, it's not a week one that, that we get worried about it. It's week two and week three and year two and year three and year four. And we hear those dark whispers and here's the problem. We begin to believe them. That Jesus doesn't care about you. He's not worried about healing Denise, but your issue? That is the enemy. That's the enemy whispering in your ear. Jesus doesn't seem to care, or Jesus has forgotten. This time frame, I also learned that Jesus' time schedule is always different than our time schedule. Is that true? Isn't it amazing if it's something we want him to do. We're, our clock is running fast. Come on, come on, come on, come on. If it's something he wants us to do, it always seems to run slow. Oh, I'll get to it. All right. Oh, I know you've been working on me for a while, Lord. I'm going to get around to it. Yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, if I'm going to stop this or start that. And you know how it works. Jesus' time schedule is always different. Third thing I learned just from that eight-year period is that Jesus works the miraculous when the Father gets the most glory. When the Father gets the most glory and the miracle will produce the greatest good. What do I mean by that? If Jesus was out in his first year of public ministry and healed this paralytic, which he healed other paralytics, people may have been wowed by that and they may have believed that, yeah, this man is, uh, some were saying a prophet, some were saying a teacher, some were even saying that he's the Messiah. And and there would be confusion, but they'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I believe that there's a Jesus out there. But here's the difference. Now we're eight years into this paralysis. And eight years into it, now Peter asks this man and tells this man, Aeneas, Jesus, the one that you know died, that you've heard about, Jesus, who is the Messiah, heals you. He is asking him to put his faith in someone who has been dead for three years now. Someone he knew was crucified. Someone he knew uh, had heard, anyways, that he rose from the dead. Can you believe this man who has already gone to the cross for you? Can you put your faith backwards? Pre-cross, they had to put their faith forward. Is Jesus the Messiah? And through all this region, this whole level, this whole plane of Sharon, they believe, they say, hey, can you believe this? That Jesus, that died three years ago, did this. That Jesus, not Peter, that Jesus did this. So when I look at this, I realize it was at a time when the Father got the most glory and the miracle produced the greatest good. This is all introduction still, by the way. We've only covered two miracles, right? So first miracle, a crippled man. Second miracle, a paralyzed man. Third miracle, a woman is raised from the dead. Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas. Sounds like Shamu's buddy, doesn't it? It's like Dorcas. Sorry, I shouldn't make fun of that name. I'm not making fun, I'm just pointing out a strange name. My wife's probably there. Here's the challenge with the third miracle we see. The challenge is this. It looks like, superficially reading it, it looks like she got her miracle because she was such a good Christian. Wasn't she? I mean, wow, look at this gal. She made tunics and garments for the widows. She had a ministry to the widows. She had a sewing ministry and used it to the glory of God. Can you glorify God with your sewing? You better believe you can. You can glorify God with any any, any talent you have, any gift you have, any ability. You can use it for the glory of God. Amen? She used it for the glory of God. The challenge is, when you first read this, you think, well, wait a minute. Yeah, well, of course she got raised to the dead. She was so good, they wanted her back. Me, they say, well, let him go. We'll see him on the other side. Thanks, Tim. You say, well, she got the miracle because she was so good. May I remind us all, again, God does not bless us because we are good. God blesses us because he is good. Amen. Amen? And he's always good, isn't he? So be careful you don't tie your miracle to your goodness or someone else's goodness. That person's so good, no wonder she got blessed. No wonder she got healed. No wonder she got helped because they're so good. Now we're, we're putting conditions on what God does based on our level, right? I, I so appreciated Curtis's devotional today that, you know, it's, it's not about earning God's approval or God's... Blessings. It's not about us getting rewards from God. These blessings are not rewards from God because you've been so good. They've been blessings from God because he is always so good. Even when you and I are not. Amen? And sometimes it's when we're the worst that he blesses us the most. It's like, this isn't how it's supposed to work. (laughs) But it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, isn't it? Uh, God's dynamics are always different. All right. Here we go. Three miracles have taken place. A crippled man was healed. A paralyzed man was healed. And a dead woman was raised from the dead. Now, do you notice anything about the severity of the needs? And humanly speaking, when you look at that, each one became progressively more desperate. And humanly speaking, each one became progressively more difficult. From... Or crippled ankles to paralyzed body to a dead body, each one grew progressively worse, humanly speaking, until it got to the ultimate impossibility. This woman is dead. What strikes me when I look at this is what I call the progressive levels, the progression, not progressive as in socialist, but progressive levels. I see a progressive level of the desperation of the situation. Each one became progressively worse, if you will. This affects a person. It affects their faith. It affects their hope. It becomes more desperate until it's like, now look. I see a progressive level when it comes to severity of the problem. From crippled ankles to paralyzed extremities to a dead woman. I see progressive levels when it comes to the application of the miracles. Each miracle was different for each person. By the way, always, always, always remember that never in Scripture does Jesus heal someone the same way twice. Everyone's different. And there's some really awesome ways he does it, isn't it? Don't you love him? I like that. I like that one. It's like, (laughs) that's awesome. I mean, if you can't see and you hear... <laughs> and then know of you feel something in your eyes. Okay, well, it. I mean, just think about these things. I don't know about you, but I do. I think about these things. Each one became... The application of the miracle is different. Now, when I think about three years into the church ministry, in light of three years of Jesus' ministry... I find that there's very interesting, not only similarities, but almost identical progression, from lesser to greater. You see this? From lesser to greater. Now think of this, and since our, our study is going to be in John and we went through the book of John, think of it in relationship to John. In the, in the beginning of Jesus' miracle, do you remember that the first miracle was that Jesus performed? Right. The day turned water into wine. Now, was that a major issue or a minor issue? Minor on the big scale of things. Unless you're the one that put together the wedding and you ran out of wine. like, oi, oi, But it was a minor issue. But then we see the second miracle as he's on his way to do a miracle. And a nobleman comes down from Capernaum. And he says, hey, you need to come. My son is sick. And he says... Your son is well. Go in faith, believing he's well. And he heals him 20 miles away, as we just saw in that video. So, so we go from a man of wine to a sick son. Then the next one you're going to see in chapter 5 of John is he, he heals a paralyzed man. And then you're going to see him in chapter 9 healing a blind man. And then you're going to get to the ultimate pinnacle of his display of power. And he heals someone who is what? Yeah. Dead. His name was Lazarus. Remember that? And so, it's interesting, by the way, so I'm looking at Peter healing uh, the paralyzed man in the first one, and then I look at him uh, healing Dorcas, and I, and I say, wait a minute, this kind of looks a little similar here. Remember, Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus died, and they sent disciples to go get Jesus and ask Jesus to come to him, and, and Jesus said, I'll be right there, right? He right, said, so see you in about four days. How do you think your attitude would feel if Jesus didn't come with me? Isn't it so crazy how we and then we're upset. If you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. So, here we have the same situation, only this time the disciples are sent. They get Peter and Peter does arise and go immediately. Am I hearing feedback or is it just me? Is me? Oh, it's not me. Okay. Sorry. I got one of those new AIDS things in my ear. It's awesome. You can really, you're doubly blessed. I'm only singly. So here we see the ultimate miracle, or the miracle of la- raising Lazarus, and then the ultimate miracle, where Jesus rises from the dead himself. But do you see the progression I'm talking about? So we go from the, the wine to the sick son to the, to the paralyzed man, the blind man, ultimately to Lazarus, Lazarus, who was dead. Now my question is this. Why the progression? Why the progression? Why do we see progressive levels? Why do we see progressive degrees of severity? Why do we see progressive miracles? Was it because Jesus was needing to warm up? I see people in their healing TV ministry, and sometimes I see people like this. What's that? It's like, okay, I don't want to put cold hands on. Hey, I don't care if they're cold or they're warm hands. If God's going to heal me, heal me. Amen? Jesus wasn't warming up. Was he practicing to see if he could do the greater ones? All right, I'll start with the wine. If it goes bad, well, at least I got some water to drink, right? He doesn't think. I know, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not being sacrilegious. That's praying in bed, you know. When I talk about these, God's got a sense of humor, and he's like, because he brings these things. He goes, I wasn't warming up, Tim. I wasn't building up my divine muscles so that I'd be spiritually strong enough to raise the dead. He wasn't doing any of that. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah, a very familiar text, is there any way to eliminate that static? Because I am an ADDDDDDDD guy. And uh, it gets me. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. I love this. Behold. That means look. Look. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. That literally, it, says, it doesn't say all humanity or mankind. All flesh means all flesh, animals or people. I've made it all. Everything living. I'm the God of all flesh. And it asks me this question. Is there anything... Too hard for me. And your answer is? No. Because God, by definition, can do anything. Amen? So we need to realize God, by definition, because God is God, He can do anything. Remember that old song? He can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. One person heard it. Okay. All right, I used to love it. When I first got saved, I didn't know anything. So I listened to those little kids songs. I like, hey, they're cool. I learned that God can't fail. But you know what? God can never contradict His own nature. That's why God cannot lie. It contradicts the fact that He's the God of truth. That's why God cannot sin, because it would contradict the fact that God is holy. That's why God cannot build a rock so big that he can't pick it up because it would contradict the fact that he is omnipotent and omniscient and all-knowing and he doesn't do anything stupid. Right? So God never contradicts his own nature. So, if God's ability is not in question and if the issue is not God's power, then my question remains, why the progression? Why the increase in levels of severity? Why the greater degrees of desperation and hopelessness? And I believe that Jesus answered that question when he rose, raised the dead in John chapter 11. When he got, came on the scene of Lazarus, who was dead. Now, I'll re- reference verse 25. He'll say to them, I, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And I'll get to this verse in a minute. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You that believe in Christ will never, never, never die. Do you believe that? I believe it. And that's what he asked, by the way. Do you believe this? Now, verse 40, he gets ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he says to Martha, Did not I say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God. So he's pointing to belief. Then they took away the stone. Because remember, he already said, roll the stone away. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man lied. Now, another good lesson there. Could Jesus have rolled the stone away? If you could raise the dead, you probably could roll a stone. He could have rolled the stone away. But you know why he didn't roll the stone away? Because they could roll the stone away. They couldn't raise the dead. So you know why he raised the dead? Because he could raise the dead. You could roll the stone away, so you roll a stone away. You can't raise the dead, so I'll raise the dead. You could take off the grave clothes. I could have brought him out in a three-piece tunic if I wanted. Right? But I didn't. I brought him out the way he came. And so I want you to be involved. We are co-laborers together with Christ. And Jesus then lifts up his eyes and he says this before he calls Lazarus forth. He says, Father, I thank you that you have, past tense, heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may, what? believe that you sent me he speaks out he says at the pinnacle of his miracles humanly speaking he says I did this so that they may believe did everyone believe they didn't all believe matter of fact the Pharisees are like oh great now he goes raising the dead we definitely gotta kill this guy I mean it's like are you crazy this guy's been healing people and helping people and raising the, the paralyzed and healing the blind and raises the dead? And you say, yeah, he's got to go. <laughs> we are very stupid people. They are. So the progressive movement in miracles was not designed to help Jesus get better at doing miracles, it was designed at helping us get better in our faith and believing God for the miraculous. They saw the miraculous. They saw how Jesus had power over nature with turning the water into wine. They saw how he had power over nature calming the sea. They saw that Jesus had power over sickness and disease when he's healing the paralyzed people, when he's healing the blind. And then they see that Jesus now has has power over, over the dead when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And he said, the reason I'm doing this is that you might believe. That you can believe me for the natural miracles. You can believe me for the sickness miracles. You can believe me even for the life miracles. I did this so that they may believe. So the question is not, can he do the miraculous? The question is, can you believe him to do the miraculous? Now before you answer that, let me ask, which was the greatest miracle in our text? Was the greatest miracle the paralyzed man walking, or the dead woman woman rising? Which is the greatest miracle? The answer to that question is neither of them. The greatest miracle in our text did not take place in verse thirty-four, where the paralyzed man stood up and made his bed, and it did not take place in verse forty, when the dead woman rose from the dead. The greatest miracle we read in our text we almost didn't even catch it. It was in verse thirty-five and verse forty-two. When it says, So all who dwelt in Luda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In verse 42, and it came to pass, and, and because, excuse me, it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So the greatest miracle that took place was not the healing of the bodies. It was not the raising of the dead. The greatest miracle that took place was the person who had a sin debt that was a lifelong sin debt. And that sin debt was forever forgiven. And these people, many of them, who were once enemies of God, Romans 5, now became sons and daughters of the living God. The greatest miracle that we just read were those who were in the grip of Satan were now plucked out of his hand and placed in the gracious hand of an eternal God. The greatest miracle that we just saw and read about where people who were on the highway to hell were turned and taken off of there and put on the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Amen? The translation of the spiritual is far greater than the repair of the physical. It's not just raising a body to life. He raised their spirit to life that was once dead in trespasses and sin. So, friends, the whole point that Jesus in these progressions is moving them in their faith. That Listen, if I could change water to wine I have power over nature, I have power over sickness and disease, I have power over life itself, then certainly I must have a power that is eternal power that can save your soul. And, man, let me tell you something. That's the power of God. Let me tell you something about the angels in heaven. They don't throw a party because the crippled man got to walk again. They didn't throw a party because somebody that was dead is now alive. But man, when those people in Joppa got saved, they shouted, Hallelujah! He goes, man, now there's a miracle. Amen? They're not up rejoicing when we are physically healed. They are rejoicing when we are spiritually healed. When the faith sits down so deep that God saves us for all eternity and forgives us of all of our sin debt. Amen. Yeah, baby. They're up there in heaven going, man, That rocks of ages, right? <laughs> that, now that's a miracle. And the angels in heaven are rejoicing over those miracles. And by the way, that's the whole lesson of Mark chapter 2. We're not going to read it for time's sake. But let me tell you about it. Jesus went into a house in Mark chapter 2. People jammed in the house. He was going to have a small group, became a large group. (laughs) No one else could get in. Four guys carried their friend because he was paralyzed in Mark chapter 2. And they got to the house and it was full. They're going, oh great. Now what? And so he said, I don't know who thought of it, but boy, there's a faith. Let's drop him down through the roof. Now if you were the guy in the mat, I would have said Sam, what are you talking about? But they did. They go up to the roof and they start dismantling it big enough to lower a guy down through. Now, that's quite a hole. If you're the homeowner, you really appreciate this guy. (laughs) If you're there listening, all of a sudden debris is falling down. Do you think everyone's attention was on what was going on above them? They're listening to Jesus, but they're going, it's like you. You hear me. But when someone walks by a sidewalk, you're like, there's a person there. Well, here's the same thing. The roof's opening up, and oh, they lowered this guy down. And it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, isn't it amazing? He could see faith. He saw their faith. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus jumped right to the greatest miracle. Boo! Yeah, your sins are forgiven. And all the scribes are like, hmm, hmm, who does this guy think he is? Where does he come off healing sin? And it says, and Jesus, knowing in his spirit what they were thinking in their heart, said to them, oh, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because you can't prove that. You can't see that. But it's harder to say, get up and walk, because this guy's been paralyzed and everyone knows they just saw him come down through the roof. But he says... So that you may believe that I have power, not only on earth, but I also have power in the spiritual realm. He says to this man, Son, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. He didn't even tell him to stay for church. He said, (laughs) And so the paralyzed guy gets up, picks up his bed. Excuse me, folks, excuse me. I mean, remember the room's packed. He pushes past, and probably if you're at a Pharisee center, you're like, Okay, okay. But Jesus said, I will do the lesser so that you know that I have power over the greater. Are you with me on that? Because you'll say, which is greater? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? He says, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven to say it. But to show you that I have power in the physical realm because I have power in the spiritual realm. He says, stand up and walk. So, My question is this. Do you believe that God can save a hell-bound sinner and give to him eternal life? Do you believe that? Have you believed it in your own life? I mean, it's tough stuff to believe. It really is. Before you're saved, the problem is this. It is so easy, it is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because it's so easy. There's got to be something more to it than that, I thought. So I can believe God can translate me, can save me, can, can forever forgive me. He could do this on the in- internal and the spiritual. If I could believe this, why is it so difficult for me to then believe that he could do the lesser? If I could believe he could do the greater, why is it so hard for me to believe he could do the lesser? We'll answer that question next week. <laughs> Stand, I know, I'll leave you hanging. Stand with me. The ministry team's going to come. Listen. You may be year two into whatever issue. You may be year eight. I don't know. But I do know this. Your God has never left you or forsaken you. Your God has not forgotten you. And if today you say, you know what? I need prayer. Folks are coming. And they're going to pray for you. You need healing. They're going to come pray for your healing. You need a physical repair. They're going to pray for that. But let me tell you something. If you need the spiritual repair... God bless you, and you're here and you're not saved yet. It's a great day to get saved, amen? Amen. It's a great day, because that's what the Lord said. Behold, today is the day, and now is the accepted time of salvation. If you can believe that he'll save you, why is it so difficult to believe that he'll heal you? You come, you come, as we sing.